Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Special thanks to Ohio State Center for Operational Excellence at the Fisher College of Business for arranging this interview. Today, we are speaking with Teresa Hay-McMahon, Executive Director of the Iowa Lean Consortium. Teresa is a leading authority on change management and organizational performance. She helps members of the Iowa Lean Consortium to increase their proficiency with lean tools and share best practices to improve their bottom line. Prior to ILC, Teresa was Deputy Director of the Iowa Department of Economic Development. She served as Performance Results Director for the Iowa Department of Management and has held several positions at the state's Department of Natural Resources. She received her Juris Doctorate at the Catholic University of America Columbus School of Law and a BS in Business Administration at Creighton University's Hyder College of Business. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. What should our listeners know about the Iowa Lean Consortium? How was it formed? What's its mission? The consortium was formed in 2009 and became operational in 2010. And it really was uh, the product of a group of people who were passionate about lean coming together and identifying the fact that there was a a lack, a gap uh, in Iowa in terms of what was available to lean practitioners from every sector of the economy. And so through a Design for Lean event, uh, we created a nonprofit that was all about helping lean practitioners learn from each other. Um, offering them world-class learning opportunities and the opportunity to network and build their skills um, much more rapidly than uh, just reading books and working on things on their own. And the members run the gamut from government to industry, correct? Yes, they do. Every sector. We have construction companies, IT firms, uh, hospitals and clinics, everything uh, imaginable. And how does that member-driven approach work for um, the members being able to fulfill their needs? I mean, how do, is, it, is it a quicker uh, approach to the solutions because they're, they're in it together in many ways? Well, being a lean organization, to the extent possible, we want to have a poll system. And that's really the essence of our member-driven focus. So we are constantly asking our members, what is it that you're looking for? Uh, What are the topics that you want to get training on? What are the things that you're struggling with? Because we want to then provide them uh, to help meet those needs uh, with whatever it is that they need at the moment. Well, I was interested to find out that uh, that you are uh, partnering now with the Center for Industrial Research and Service, uh, a manufacturing extension partnership, since we also do some work for the MEP system. Um, how has that enhanced your services, or what has been the, uh, the value add with that? Right. So the MEP was one of several programs within CIRRUS, um, and, and now the uh, Iowa Lean Consortium is a part of that as well. What that has done is it has helped provide us support with everything from uh, IT and fiscal management and event logistics so that we can really focus on serving our member needs and growing the consortium. So having that kind of infrastructure behind us lets us focus on our mission more. Uh, so during the uh, the presentation that uh, you uh, wrapped up uh, during the breakout session during the Center for Operational Excellence Annual Summit, 
you talked about the uh, common issues in infusing lean, uh, especially in the middle management area. And you, uh, you know, you were talking about how you know ninety percent of it is culture. If you could explain a little bit more about that, absolutely. Especially early on, a lot of focus when we looked at lean and culture, our continuous improvement was on the tools. And so uh, we really focused on those things that were easy to implement. The problem with that is it doesn't give you long-term sustainability. And so we have, uh, we encounter a lot of organizations that say, oh, lean, we tried that. It didn't work. Um, And really what they're seeing is that they implemented some tools. They might have had some short-term successes, but ultimately it petered out. And that's because they never focused on changing the culture. Uh, Developing a culture of continuous improvement, one where uh, people are really focused on developing leaders, developing problem solvers, um, developing that curiosity, um, those kinds of things, the uh, things that we often think of as much more intangible, much more difficult to implement. Um, and so that is why uh, there's a recognition today that that's what was lacking. Uh, we need to to focus most of our time and effort on building that culture of continuous improvement. Uh, when meeting with manufacturers, at least in my experience, uh, they they uh, talk a lot about process. And in terms of your membership and, and what uh, you've encountered, where do manufacturers fare in that uh, spectrum of adopting lean and, and the continuous improvement practices? Well, in some ways, manufacturers are ahead of other sectors uh, simply because uh, lean really was introduced into U.S. manufacturing pri- prior to moving into other sectors of the economy. So from that standpoint, they have an advantage. Um, of course, we see a lot of that. That tended to be with our larger manufacturers in the United States. And so we have a lot of small and mid-sized manufacturers, some that may have initially grown up in someone's garage or uh, backyard barn, and now they've become a manufacturing company and perhaps have not fully transitioned into um, developing processes and systems that are looking at how we can continually improve and do things better. That's where a lot of our uh, challenge is. In terms of the adoption of, of lean, uh, how uh, do you have any good examples of, of companies that have uh, really taken the bull by the horn, so to speak, and, and, and uh, embraced it and, and have, uh, you know, have, and the result has been some really positive changes? Well, absolutely. We have some long-term practitioners of lean that are members of the ILC, uh, such as Vermeer Corporation, uh, Vermeer Manufacturing, uh, Pella Corporation, uh, H&I, a parent company of Han that many people are familiar with. They are long-term, highly successful practitioners. If you go into those kinds of companies, the I always think that the continuous improvement culture there is literally palpable. Um, you can feel it from the front desk receptionist that greets you when you come in to the frontline workers that are out on the plant floor and every level in between. You go to report outs for uh, process improvement events that have happened, and the president or the CEO of the company is sitting in the report outs, as are the senior vice presidents, the vice presidents, uh, HR is involved. They understand that lean is about Um, all aspects 
of how our company operates. So whether that's uh, looking at our finances through a lean uh, accounting lens, HR, uh, every aspect. It's not just about something on the uh, plant floor. During your breakout session at the uh, at the uh, annual summit, you discussed the role of the much maligned middle manager in transform- transformational change. Uh, what is a, what are the ways to gain buy-in for managers? I mean, you had an eight-step process that you discussed. But, you know, maybe there's a short answer and a long answer to this. Well, the short answer is that there is no secret sauce. <laughs> um, the long, the long answer is that this is, um, it is a continuous journey. So it is not something that is uh, going to change overnight. You know, many of our organizations, we do have, particularly in those middle management ranks, we have long-term, uh, long-time uh, individuals that have come up in a very different culture. They're very comfortable with the way they do things. They're not interested um, in that change. Um, so it is a, it's a combination of finding those uh, individuals that are willing to make changes, um, ensuring that those who uh, that might not be their first choice, but they understand what it is to be held accountable and they're willing to implement what it is they need to do, uh, even if that's not their first choice. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's about making changes where the individuals are unwilling to change. Uh, so, but middle managers are, we, we can't assume that they're bad actors. Uh, they have many conflicting priorities. They have many um, sometimes conflicting direction. And so it's something that is uh, a very challenging position. Uh, you talk about the guiding coalition, that that is a way to uh, try to, um, you know, to create some movement with those managers that might be in that red zone where they're resistant to change. Yes. And so this is particularly helpful if you can have that executive sponsor. Uh, that can make a significant difference. Uh, too often we do see an example where a senior leader says, go do this. And that's the end of their involvement. Um, and that senior, senior leader engagement and involvement makes a critical difference. So in the kind of guiding coalition that you mentioned, you know, they can play a real role in helping to address that resistant middle manager. Uh, we face a particular challenge if we just assign the change to uh, someone who is uh, a lateral to that middle manager, or that might be viewed as uh, at a lower level within the organization, and then we don't provide them any support or backup. So a guiding coalition involves that that senior level and can help move the middle manager uh, off the dime, so to speak. And you mentioned that the that really a lot of it is to to make sure that the uh, manager knows the why. Absolutely. Uh, too often, uh, edicts get handed down, and we provide the tools, but we don't provide that context. We don't provide the understanding. What is the connection to what I'm being told to do now to where this this company's top priorities are, where our strategies uh, or our goals are? And so helping managers know why they're being 
asked to make these changes. How do managers get stuck? I mean, is are there some things? I mean, I, I know that you know we're, we you know when you th- we think about this, think we think about sweeping changes that are happening in the organization. But I mean, what are some examples that you that come to mind? Uh, you know about where they get stuck, and then you know the uh, the you know, how how is it uh, you know, based on that? What what are some good tips on how to you know reignite their engagement or you know, sometimes it might be just to, to initially spur their engagement when they may have been disengaged before. Mm-hmm. When we introduce a significant change, a real transformation, again, because we have not made clear what the role is, how things are going to change, specifically for this individual, uh, they can have a lot of fear of the unknown. They've been very comfortable in their role exactly as it was, and now they don't know where they're going to fit or what they're going to do, or even if they're going to have a job. And so um, the natural tendency is to just say no, uh, even if they don't say that out loud. They they show it by uh, not taking uh, the actions that you need them to take. Again, helping make that connection, uh, helping create the the clarity of what their role is in this change, what is specifically the problem that we're trying to solve? Why does it matter to all of us? And what is it going to do for us? What's that post-solution vision? So that, again, they understand the bigger picture. Uh, they understand why their particular actions are critical. And then giving them both the skills and the time to make those changes. And that's what you talk about in terms of, uh, of the, even though this may sound too warm and fuzzy, the, but the, the, uh, the concept of psychological safety. Absolutely. Uh, It's not something that we used to pay any attention to, right? Um, People were just expected to come into work and do what they were told. And it really, we we didn't pay a lot of attention to whether there was fear generated uh, in the workplace, uh, those kinds of things. So taking a very different approach um, to where we create an environment, it's safe to ask questions, it's safe to uh, raise uh, problems, dissents, things like that. So it sounds like that that's the approach that you're taking with the Iwaline Consortium is to develop exactly the kind of environment that uh, that your uh, that that the, the members are, are learning to engage in their own organizations, correct? Absolutely. One of the things we offer is a members forum. So they can get online and reach out to their fellow practitioners in other organizations, knowing that that's a safe environment to say, I have this problem. I don't know what to do. Does anyone have ideas, recommendations? So what's next for the Iwaline Consortium? We are always looking at how we can continue to add value to our member benefits. Um, As we have grown and had a larger number of organizations belong, Uh, We really need to assess how best we can meet the needs of companies that are in very different places uh, on their lean journey. Thank you, Teresa, for coming on the show. My pleasure.